that he writes about this new heaven and new earth. And uh, when you were imagining a minute ago what it will be like to stand in his presence, um, usually when we do that, you sort of picture yourself, just like you are now, you know, me with no hair and a little overweight, you know, achy knees and all that good stuff, standing before God. That's not how that works. You're in a glorified body. There's no pain or suffering or sadness. And uh, you're standing before the presence of Almighty God and Jesus Christ who has nail prints in His hands. You're going to stand before His presence. And will you bow before Him? I can't see myself in my current mind. I can't see myself doing anything but being flat on my face. And, uh, and, and I'm not a good dancer anyway, so the dancing part doesn't work for me. But, you know, there's just this... There's this moment where you get caught up in that scene and it's very real for us as Christians that we will be in his presence forever, forever in his presence. Um, I want to just make this simple statement, just make it real simple. It all ends for everybody. Everybody you know, it all ends in wrath or grace. Wrath or grace. And now it all depends on what you did with Jesus in your life. It all ends in wrath or grace. Now listen, I know the handout's a double pager. Um, Me and the copier didn't get along this morning, so I made it on one page and had my wife fold them in half. I know there's a lot of stuff on there, but a lot of it's just Bible verses, so don't freak out. Some of you that are OCD, when y'all see those long handouts, you're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be here forever. Okay, You're not, I promise. Okay, But there's a lot of verses that I felt like it was very important to get to you uh, in Scripture, and I want them to be on your handout, especially if we had guests today. I wanted those guests to be able to see that Scripture in print and take it home with them, uh, because this is a very important message in, in terms of that. But you yourself and everyone you'll know will either experience God's wrath or God's grace one day. And it's going to be all wrath, I get this, or all grace from there on. See, eternity works that way. It's all wrath or all grace. I'm just trying to get inside the heads of my Christian friends and family that are here today. That's the two angles and the two avenues that there are. There's not another choice there's not a middle of the road. There's not a, a place where you go and kind of hang out and see if it's going to be one day you can get into the other one. No. The Bible's very clear. There's two channels. Wrath and grace. And you get all of God's wrath or you get all of His grace at the end of all things. Right? So just consider grace for a minute. And Lord knows I preach on this enough that I should have some of y'all come up here and just fill in the blanks. Okay? And I know you could. Um, I've actually got a pastor friend that I'm talking to a lot. Just started or just uh, began pastoring at a little church, and I'm telling him, man, you got, and his people are kind of, there's a lot of disunity, new pastor and all that kind of stuff, and there's all this friction. I said, you got to get them to grace each other. Man, you got to teach them that grace settles all those little goofy arguments. When you love by grace and when you understand God's grace, none of that little stuff matters. And so here, um, just to take you through grace real quick, okay, not meant to dwell on this today because I really believe you know this, but Ephesians 2 says this, and I put the, the full verses are going to show up up here, um, and I'm going to read probably more than is on your handout, because I had to shorten your handout so it would fit on at least two pages, two short pages. Um, Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order, By the way, the first part of Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God raised us up in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace. He raised you up so that in the coming days He could show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The Bible is very clear. You're saved by the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary, and your belief in that is the thing that settles wrath or grace for you for eternity. You're saved by grace through faith, not of works. You can't work yourself into it after you're saved. God definitely wants you to be doing good works. Matter of fact, Ephesians 2.10 says we were created in Him unto good works, but the works are not the issue of salvation. The grace is. Saved by grace. Everybody got it? So let's say it together. I'm saved by grace. Say it. I'm saved by grace. Matter of fact, let's do it this way. I'm saved by grace alone. I'm saved by grace alone. Nothing else will save you. Jesus Christ is the only name that will save you. And so we have that clear in our head. And that even means that uh, when you get to Romans 8, it says, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay? So if I'm on the grace side of life, if I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, then not only is, is, have I been saved by grace, but there's no condemnation in Christ. Romans 8 one says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I cannot ever be condemned by God. He will never condemn me because His Son was condemned on the cross for me in my place. Do you get that? The condemnation for me has already been dealt out to Jesus Christ. That's the deal. It's already been dealt out. So, I'm saved by grace and there's no condemnation. Man, what a deal. What a deal. Who wouldn't want that deal, really? Um, In my Father's house, it says in John 14, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go there, Jesus says. Jesus of carpenter. Carpenter of all carpenters. I'm going to go build a place for you, just for you, for me and you to dwell forever, so that where I am, there you will be also. In John 14, we're promised this place in heaven. So here's the deal with the grace side of life. If you're on the grace side, God saves you by His grace and brings you into a relationship with Him so that you're never condemned, and He wants to live with you forever in a place that He's prepared in heaven place that He's prepared. And what's that place like? Well, the Scriptures are filled with, in, with information. By the way, I highly recommend you know this in your head. I should be able to. I'm not going to. I have done it before. I should be able to quiz you today and go, hey, what's your hometown look like? Because, you know, you might try to describe Mobile, but that's really not your hometown. The Bible says we're sojourners here. We're sojourners here. I'm going to make it crystal clear next Sunday about what it means to be our, a sojourner here. But your hometown that you're really part of now is heaven. And there's a description of it in, in the Scriptures. It's got you know, gates of pearl, 12 gates. Each one's a giant pearl. Gates are never closed. There's an angel standing by each gate. Watch people come in and out. Okay? The, the walls, it says they're made of these beautiful crystals um, and gold. The streets are made of gold. Um, I mean, there's just this magnificent... There's, there's a river that flows through the city. There's a crystal sea. There's all this stuff. That's your hometown. You should be able to describe it just as good as you can describe Mobile, Alabama, or Sims, or you know, Pontucky, wherever you're from. You should be able to describe it just as good. And the Bible says this in, in uh, Revelation 21. John the Revelator says, Then I saw the new heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. Listen to this. And He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be 
their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. The older things have passed away. And the next verse says, He came to make all things new. There will be no more death, no more mourning. So there's no funeral homes in heaven. There's no funerals. There's no doctors. There's no nurses. You're a nurse. That's great. We need you here. In heaven, you're not needed at all. You're not needed at all. Because there's no sadness. There's no sorrow and no sickness. So if, if grace has captured my heart and I've trusted Christ as my Savior, here's how it ends for me. In pure grace. As a matter of fact, a true Christ follower, a true Christ follower, it ends in grace and in heaven with God. Now, there's a great ending. Talk about the ending to a movie. It ends in grace and in heaven with God. That's what a true Christ follower is, is, is allowed or is, is promised and guaranteed by the one who paid for all our sins. That's how it ends. So that's grace. But I want you to consider wrath as well. I want you to consider wrath as well. Because the present wrath is the first thing I want you to talk about or think about. There's a present wrath of God. Now, I've spent a little bit of time studying this. We actually did a Wednesday night lesson on it. Uh, so I'm going to go through this. Um, Pretty quick because you, you'll catch on to this pretty fast. By the way, Brandon asked earlier. Um, he says when you get to heaven, you know you, which came first, chicken or the egg. Everybody knows the answer to that, right? God didn't create eggs; He created. Okay, so everybody knows. Just so you know, don't have to ask that one anymore when you get to heaven. You got it covered. God created chickens. Okay, he didn't create acorns; He created trees. Okay, chicken chicken came first, and it laid eggs, and there were more chickens. That's how it worked. So it worked that way for all of creation, by the way. So, but but. The present wrath is very clear in Romans 1.8. It says, uh, Paul the Apostle writing to the Romans, very vile people, he says, for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the, ungodly, all the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth in their wickedness. God's wrath is being revealed. Well, how does that work? I'm going to tell you three ways it works. It's real simple. Three ways. They'll be in your notes here. Um, one is universal death. Universal death. The wages of sin is death. You don't know anybody that's not going to die. You just don't know anybody that's not going to die. Unless the Lord comes back and then we're all going to go to heaven. Right? Know Christ our Savior. Um, there's going to be grace or wrath for everybody here. But the truth is, everybody you know is terminal. You're terminally ill with a, with a disease called sin. The wages of sin is death. When Adam died on the cross, or when Adam sinned against us, or sinned against God, it cost all of us who have that imputed sin in our lives now, it costs all of us to have terminal lives. They're short term. And for us, it's like 70 years, you know, if you're lucky, 75, 80, 85, and you're done. You're done. Everybody you know is going to die. So there's number one wrath. That's the wrath of God poured out on all men. Here's another one. The suffering of futility and the suffering of man in life. You don't know anybody that doesn't go through great suffering. It says in Genesis 3, there will be suffering. He actually says... You know, for all you farmers, I'm going to give you some thorns and thistles. By the way, the thorns and thistles grow really good. You ever garden anything? You ever just try to keep a pretty little bunch of flowers in front of your house? You notice that the weeds grow like crazy where you're trying to get something pretty to grow? And uh, if you have a real nice bunch of grass and you put some bad grass in it, some you know, crab grass or some weed grass, that stuff just takes over. I mean, the, the good stuff has a very hard time fighting with the bad stuff in, in the ground. Because God said, part of the wrath I have on earth, because of all this sin, but part of the wrath I have 
is that there is going to be suffering and futility. It's why we have pain and sickness and sorrow. Okay? It's, it's part of our, our suffering is part of the current wrath of God. And then the simplest one to see, all you got to do is read the news for this one, is there's just, there's a, just a degradation in morality and society. You know, everything gets worse and worse. I was thinking about when Laura uh, told um, about the YouTube video. Somebody sent me that a while back, by the way. It's devastating um, to think through that. Uh, somebody videoed that and then tried to, they tried to make it look like it's a great thing to have an abortion. Um, it's just overwhelming to me. But you know what that is? That's a, that's a degraded society. That's a, a person whose moral ethics, who doesn't understand life at all, trying to school other people that don't understand life at all. The value of human life and the beauty of life is, is degraded into just a video that's saying, oh, it's not that important, it's just a baby. It's not that important. Just fetal tissue, not anything important. When in reality, a life is lost in that moment. A life is lost. So I just want you to, and all you have to do is watch the news. Just watch the news a couple of times a week. Don't do it every night. You'll go nuts. But a couple of times a week, watch the news, and you'll see how bad our society really is. There's just tons of it. Our, our very own city has struggled with a whole bunch of just bad news lately of people that are very immoral, very unethical, and very sinful. Um, Romans 5 says, when Adam sinned, um, all men sinned in him, and all men are guilty of sin, and it passed down from every generation, from every generation, Romans 5.19. So everybody you know is a sinner, and everybody you know faces universal death, suffering, and, and this society that's just coming apart at the seams. Now, there, that's the present wrath. We, we, can, we can say we've experienced it. We do Even as Christians, we do experience it. I'll show you at the end here how God actually overcomes some of that for us by His grace. But then I want you to see the future wrath that's coming. And this is really what I want you to see today, is the future wrath. And the first, it begins with the concept of fury. Revelation 19. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to mark this passage. Revelation 19.11. This is the verses that caught my attention a few weeks ago and, and really turned my head to be able to set up Vision Sunday next week with this passage. Revelation 19, verse 11. Here's what it says. Then I saw the heavens open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like the flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. Now listen to this. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title was the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. The armies of the heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release... This is the part I want you to underline in your Bible. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press, on his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. The King of all kings and Lord of all lords is going to one day ride a white horse literally through the nations and like, like a person standing in a wine press. You know, in the old days they just made these giant tubs that were wine press. You put all the grapes in there and you just stand on them. You just step up and down on them. And what you're doing is you're squishing the grapes till the juice comes out of it. That's how God 
is describing Jesus and God's wrath and fury on the nations of people who did not accept Him as Savior. You understand? Everybody else that's not on the grace side, that's their end. And I'm just giving you a couple of notes. One, it says that God is the Almighty. The Almighty. He, and, and it literally just, just get this in your head. He has all the power. And you can sit here and talk about all the power you want, okay? Uh, some, some guys were up here the other day, working yesterday, working on our electricity and uh, working, trying to get our parking lot lights working. We've got two of them working. We're going to keep doing that. That's awesome, by the way. That's, uh, is it, is it one, 110, 220? Just 110 running out there, isn't it? All right, some of you messed with electricity. Robbie works with electricity. Some came over to my house and did my, my, put in our new stove for us and a little 220 play in there. It's not something you want to play with. Not something you want to play with, okay? Because there's some serious power in 220, right? You touch that wrong and you, you could, you know, die. That's all, just die, right? You could get grace or wrath that fast, right? That's just electricity running through our house. The Bible says God has all the power of all things. As a matter of fact, I was reading, because um, I, I got real interested in the atom and all this kind of stuff, and I need, I need to go to Kurt's Sunday School class and let him do some of these experiments. But I was trying to figure out the difference between fusion and fission and all that kind of stuff, and I still don't get it. I'm, I've kind of lost my scientific mind over the years. But, but there's all this crazy stuff about the the inside of Adam, and I started studying the history of the atomic bomb. And, and the, the, there's literally hundreds, a hundred or more scientists that began a process of kind of helping each other from the, from the 20, 19, late, late 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s. They kind of all began getting a little piece of information that would, they would pass on to another guy, pass on to another guy. And this scientist figured this part out, and this scientist figured that out. And all of a sudden, a couple of guys, Albert Einstein being one of them, said, you know what, we think we can harness the power of an atom, the smallest, the smallest particle that we can identify. We think we can harness the power that's inside that atom. And then they began working on that process, and eventually they came up with, with uh, these uh, reactions, and they started figuring out a way to, to purify plutonium, uranium and plutonium. You guys know that's dangerous stuff when you hear it in the news. When you hear those words in the news, pay close attention. If somebody's got some serious uranium and plutonium, they've got some very serious weapons. Because what happens is, and here's what one of the writers said, they actually wrote to the president, I think it was Roosevelt at the time, and said, look, we figured out that if we do this just right, we could create an explosion that for two seconds is going to have the same heat in it and, and, and power as the surface of the sun. We can make an explosion. It's called the atomic bomb. You remember when they set them off? You've seen those pictures, right, of, of the, I love those old photographs, uh, those old videos when they got the ships out in, in the Pacific and, and they blow this uh, bomb up and the, and the wave pushes little, these little tiny ships and it pushes them back. And then they show, you know, some, somebody's, you know, set up a camera behind a protected glass thing, lead thing, and you see all these houses just burned instantly and gone, right? That's the power of the atomic bomb. And mankind... A bunch of scientists, a bunch of really smart, original nerds, for you nerd people, the original nerds sat down and figured all this cool stuff out. They figured out how to blow this atom, this uranium and plutonium up in such a way, how to purify and blow it up in such a way that, that for two seconds, it could make the heat of the surface of the sun in the perimeter of where it is. That's impressive, isn't it? Isn't that impressive? You know what God did with the sun? And all the stars, by the way, he just spoke them into existence. The whole sun, not the surface of the sun, 
God Almighty, the Almighty, opened His mouth and spoke the, the planets and the stars and all the stars, all the big stars. Remember, remember the Lou Giglio video we saw with all the giants? Our sun is just a little bitty compared to some of the big ones. God spoke every bit of that into existence from His mouth. That God Almighty is the one that's going to bring wrath to those who never accepted Him. That's where the wrath comes from. Okay, it's not just like a little atomic explosion deal. You know, it's, I know, I know. When we watch all that on video, it's terrible. When I was a kid and watched, you know, saw this atomic bomb thing and all that kind of stuff happening, I was terrified. You know, we were in the Cold War days, and you know, Russia might have one of these, and then they pulled a bunch of them up on Cuba's, you know, shores, and we were, you know, figuring out how to build shelters and hide and all that kind of stuff. I was terrified of ever if somebody ever, you know, hit the port of Mobile with an atomic bomb, we're just gone. I mean, you know, it's just fire through the whole city and we're done. I was terrified of that. You know, when God watches that from heaven, to him it's just like a little firecracker going pop. He's like, yeah, you know, that I'm, I make that in the heavens all day long. <laughs> the sun's doing that all the time, you know, and all the big stars are doing it all the time. Those, that's how they work, is how y'all made that little poof. That's how they work for me. Now, the same God Almighty that does that is the one whose fury comes in. He is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. He's a God of justice. And His wrath, the Bible says His wrath is full of fury. You just don't want that God who can make that kind of energy and have that kind of power to have fury and wrath against you. And He pictures mankind as grapes in a wine press. Make a little note here in your notes. I didn't put it on the screen for you because I, I, we had way too many slides and too many notes for you. But Isaiah 63, 1 through 5 is where this reference in Revelation comes from. When it says he's going to ride through and it's like, it's like uh, pressing down grapes in a wine press. It comes from Isaiah 63. I want to read you this passage. Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this one who comes from Edom, from the city of uh, uh, Basra, with his clothing stained red. Now remember it said he had Jesus had these, this, these uh, blood stains on his robe? Listen to this. Who is this royal robes? Who is this in royal robes marching in his great strength? The answer comes back from the heavens to Isaiah. It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. So Isaiah says, Why are your clothes so red as if you've been treading out grapes? And this is the answer that comes from heaven to Isaiah. I have been treading the winepress alone. No one was there to help me in my anger. I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. For the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. I was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. So I myself, I myself stepped in to save them with my strong arm, and my wrath sustained me. I crushed the nations in my anger and made them stagger and fall to the ground, spilling their blood upon the earth. Same God of grace that I want you to understand loves you more than life itself says, I crushed all those nations to the point that their blood flowed so deep it stained the bottom of my robe. That's what the fury and wrath of God looks like. Now, there's not just fury, but there's the fire that I know you've heard of. So I just want you to see this. Revelation 20, verse 11. By the way, we read Revelation 19. We read, we read about this, um, we read about, or in Revelation 21, rather, we read about this uh, 
a beautiful city that's going to come down and that there's going to be no more sorrow and no more sadness. This is the verses right before that. Okay, and John didn't write in chapter, he didn't put you know, chapter 20 you know, in there, so he's just writing. And right before the verse where he says, I saw the heavens come down and God was in the midst of His people and He was going to be their God and there would be no more sadness and no more sorrow and no more suffering. Here are the verses that come right before that. I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. Revelation 20, verse 11. The earth and the sky fled from His presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done and recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to the deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Listen to this. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Anyone. How many anyones do you know? How many people do you know that you have no idea whether they're saved or not saved? Because you know how it ends for them? In wrath. For the those without Christ, it ends in wrath and eternal torment in hell. Fury in the lake of fire. That's how it ends. For anybody you know that doesn't know Christ our Lord and Savior, co-workers, friends and family, neighbors, anybody you know, the guy that you pay for your gas on you know, Saturdays when you're stopping to get gas at the same little 7-Eleven every time, that guy, there's no such thing as 7-Eleven anymore, is there? Sorry, Circle K, whatever it is now. Okay. That guy, that guy, if he doesn't know Christ, this is his end right here. This is how it ends for him. There, there will be a time when God calls all the dead into His presence, and He separates them. And there's grace, and there's wrath. That's the only two choices. That's the only two choices. Now, some of you have family members, even sons and daughters or children or mothers and fathers who may not know Christ, their Lord and Savior. This is how it ends for them if they don't know Christ, their Lord and Savior. This is how it ends. And there's no second chance in that. That's it. That will be the end. So I have two closing questions I want to give you. One, how should all this affect us? I'm just going to give you a real quick rundown on a couple of verses. Psalm 114 says we should tremble at the wrath of God. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. You should tremble at the presence of God. It really should rattle you. It really should. Um, if you take time to meditate on God and His wrath ever, it'll, it'll wake you up for good. And, and it's a good deal. Isaiah 66 says, This is the one whom I will look he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God says, that's the person I'm interested in. If you're, if you're trembling at my words and you understand my authority and my power, that's who it is. We should also have reverence. We should have an awe of God. Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean, by the way, you can save yourself. He's already done all that. Paul makes that real clear, by the way, in, in the book. But he says, once you're saved, you should work it out so that you live before God, not, not fear like terrified, but fear like in reverent awe of Him, understanding the enormous power. 
And then it says, uh, Matthew says, Do not fear those who kill the body, but can kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body. In other words, don't fear man, fear God. Tremble at the prospect of distrusting God. You know what we should be the most afraid of in this fear and trembling moment? The thing we should fear the most is that we would stop trusting in Him, stop counting on Him, stop believing in Him, stop recognizing His awesomeness. That's what we should be the most afraid of. Um, Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, uh, but the Lord of hosts. Let Him be your fear and let Him be your dread. That's Isaiah uh, chapter 8, by the way. Um, so we should, we should live in fear. The third one is fear. Psalm 130, 3 and 4 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, O Lord, who could stand? If God would just count up your sins. If God just decided to stop right here and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to do a little math. I'm going to do a little calculator. I'm going to count your sins. Who can stand? You don't want to be there. But it, the, the psalmist says, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There is forgiveness that you may be feared. So we should live fear and trembling and awe of Him and reverence of Him. But then we should also change something about ourselves. We should warn of His wrath. We should tell of His grace. It's really the whole point that, that Justin was making last week. Tell of His grace. Warn people about this wrath to come. I played for a number of little league teams as a, as a kid. Um, football, basketball, and baseball. My brothers and I uh, both played on these uh, little league teams. And, uh, you know, after you play for several years for the same coach, you learn stuff about that coach. And when new players come on the field, you want to tell them, hey, whatever you do, if you want to cut up, that's fine. But don't do this, because when you do that, the whole team has to run for, like, the whole practice. I mean, it's a terrible idea. When we used to, I just remember learning... I remember learning the, the modes and the methods of these coaches going, this is not a good thing for him. It just boils him. Every time that happens, we have to, we have to all run and do exercise, and he gets so mad, so don't do that. And I remember warning the other players, you know, the young guys, don't, don't do that. Right? Well, the Bible says we're supposed to know that about God. This is what brings God's wrath. You not trusting in him displeases him, and it brings his wrath. So we should be willing to warn others. I just want to leave with this question. So is the wrath of God the terrible thing? When you, do, when you meditate this week on the wrath of God, and I pray that you will, when you meditate on it, it's a terrible thing to meditate on. Is that his standard mode of operation? Um, for, for God, in regard to all people, does he just have, is just this giant wrathful God, full of wrath? Well, here's, here's what's beautiful about this. Even as he's describing that he has to be just and have wrath, all through the Bible he's saying, but I'm wooing you to the grace side of life. I'm wooing you back to me. Romans 2, verse 4. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance and patience? Um, He says, uh, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself. Paul's writing to the Romans saying, don't you recognize his kindness? It's your stubbornness that's driving him towards that wrath. Would you just relax? Don't be stubborn towards God. Be sensitive toward Him. Don't you recognize His kindness that leads you to repentance? And then Matthew 5, he says, He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
Listen to me. And this is easy in our town, by the way. We're, we have the wet, one of the wettest towns in the United States of America is Mobile, Alabama. We get more rain than any other town in the United States of America. Mobile, Alabama does. All right, so here's an easy one. Acts chapter 14. Or, yeah, Acts chapter 14. In the past, he permitted all nations to go their own way. But he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. God, God said, fine, if y'all aren't going to follow me, that's fine. Go your own way. But he never left them without evidence of his goodness. What's the evidence? For instance, Paul says, or Luke says, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and a joyful heart. Do you know that every time it rains here in Mobile, you go, man, that's evidence of God's goodness right there. You know, sometimes we get a whole lot of God's goodness here, right? It's evidence of God's goodness every time it rains. You know, every time you sit down and eat a meal, every time you sit down and eat a meal, it's evidence of God's goodness. That's exactly what Acts says. Every time you eat, it's proof that God loves you enough to provide rain and food for you. He provides rain and food for everybody. So even in the midst of judging people, this, this, there's this kindness that comes right here in the midst of his wrath. He's saying, look, if you don't trust me, there's going to be wrath, but I'm trying so hard to woo you through kindness. I'm giving you really good food. I'm keeping your crops growing. So the gift of food and rain is God's way of wooing, but wrath is coming. God's holiness will be avenged. He will, be, he will one day judge the whole earth, and there will be a lake of fire. There will be a lake of fire that anybody you know doesn't know Christ, that's where they're going to end up. Is there grace to us as Christ followers? Yes. Remember those three things we talked about? Death, suffering, and righteousness? Well, here's three, three proofs. The Bible says, O death, where is thy... You know what God did for us? In the, in, the, in the wrath, the universal wrath of death, He took the sting out of death for us. We still die, but we get to go, it's like express lane to heaven now. When I die, I'm going straight to heaven. You don't need to feel sorry for me. You know, there'll be a box. Hopefully a real cheap little box up here, cardboard, if you can make it that way, and I'll stay in it. Just a cardboard box is fine. You don't have to worry about me. And if take care of my family, they, hopefully they'll be somewhat grieved over it. Okay? Might be a little tears here and there. Love on them, but listen. Man, I'm in heaven. Express lane. There's no sting to that for me. It's awesome, right? So how did he deal with suffering? Romans 8.28 says the suffering for, for us is but momentary in Romans 8. And then later on he says... All things work together for good. So even my suffering is going to try to be good? Yes, because I'm on the grace side. So even, even as God has wrath on all men and their suffering, my suffering turns into good. And then what about this moral degra- degradation of our society? Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law, with the result that there is righteousness for everyone who believes. He made me righteous in the midst of a degrading society, I understand righteousness. And it grieves me, but I understand righteousness. And I'm clothed in His righteousness in the midst of a degrading society filled with unrighteousness. I'm clothed in His righteousness. That's how He takes care of me. That's the grace side. And there's the wrath side. His wrath is real. The Bible says for Christians we're not destined to wrath, and He says there's no condemnation. 1 Thessalonians 2 says we're not destined to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5 says we're not destined to wrath. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation. But for everybody else, it's wrath. And what I want to challenge you to is since you have this big piece of paper in front of you that's a whole sheet, 
I want you to flip it over to the blank side for a minute. I'd like you to write down the names of two or three people that you don't know their salvation experience. You don't know if they're saved or not. Write down their names. Here's, what, here's where they're going to go. They're going to go straight to hell if somebody doesn't tell them the truth and woo them and love them and grace them into the kingdom. Our responsibility is to turn people away from wrath. You have the answer. You have the answer. It's like knowing the bridge is out. And, you know, as kids, we heard this illustration a million times. I was in Sunday school class. We used this illustration a million times. If, you, if you're on the side of the road and you know the... Down the road, the bridge is out, and a school bus is coming. You don't just let it go past. You run out in front of the school. You do everything you can to stop the people from going to certain death. You do everything you can to stop them. Right? So I'm asking you to look at those names. I'm asking you to really seriously write down a name, somebody that needs Jesus that you know. Boss, friend, coworker, neighbor, sister, brother, mother, aunt, uncle, doesn't matter. Hey, might just be the person next door that you don't even know their name yet, but you know something's not right with them, right? Write their name down. And we, as a church, need to make a mission. You as an individual, the church, by the way, is not the building, it's you. You need to make a mission out of that to say, you know what? There's grace and wrath. I want you to just think about that for one second. That's the only two choices. That's the only two choices of life. Everybody that I see here that I know well, you got the grace thing covered. You're going. You got the express ticket to heaven. Life's going to be good. I can only imagine. Amen. Life's good for us. That's not true for everybody. And our responsibility is to help the other group do something different about that. Amen.